Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. The Women of Golf Show is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine with insightful reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, helping you improve your game from tea to green. Good morning, welcome to the Women of Golf, the number one women's golf show around the world, with hosts Ted Odorico and Cindy Miller. Join them as they interview some of the best players from the Epson, LPGA and Legends Tour, and so many others helping to elevate women's golf. So without further ado, here are your hosts, Ted and Cindy. All right, good morning, everybody, and once again, welcome to the Women of Golf Show. I'm Ted Odorico, and right alongside, of course, each and every week is none other than Legends Tour player and LPGA professional, Cindy Miller, and we are your hosts here on the Women of Golf Show. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning, Ted. How are you? How are you? I'm doing very well. Happy Thanksgiving. We didn't uh, we didn't obviously have a show last week, so I didn't get a chance to officially wish you a happy Thanksgiving. How was uh, things at the Miller household? Good. We had everybody over. Lots of kitties <laughs> and big people. Always good. So that was fun. Always good. Alan made turkey. Yeah, and you've got. And... That's right, and you've got some well, uh, a new addition to the family not too long ago, right? We do. Knox William is a month old, and he was there. So, and you know what? He's so good, you forget he's around, which is not good because <laughs> I could walk out and leave him there. I'm like, oh, yeah, there's a new kid in town. Um, That's right. Anyway, yeah, he's he's great. Um, and Lane, well, the little one who's just over one, he was thrilled because there's no locks on the cabinet. So he went into the kitchen right. and opened up every cabinet door and was like, oh, this is Stevesville here. <laughs> <clears throat> so he was thrilled. So you had to watch him like a hawk. And then uh, Saturday we had a holiday junior party for all the kids we teach and their parents. And we had pizza and cookies and pop and we played tic-tac-toe on the putting green, had a big contest. We had about 70 people at the Dome, and nobody wow. fell off the roof, which was great. So, yeah, <laughs> now we have a snowstorm, so we get to use our yep. new snowblower. Very good. And Typical Buffalo weather. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, and the well, good. I'm walk, glad. I, yes, I'm, I did notice that. Yeah, I, was gonna, I didn't want to say anything, but, yeah, the Bills, unfortunately, didn't, uh, didn't pull it out, but... All right, we've got a great show for everybody. Um, a little bit later on in the show, we're going to be joined by Grace Wilson. She is a product test manager for PXG. Um, she was actually scheduled on November 7th, but uh, for those of you tuning in may recall, we had some technical issues and had to reschedule it. So uh, she's gracious, graciously um, agreed to join us this, uh, a little bit later on in the broadcast today. So we're going to have her. But uh, first, you and I, uh, Cindy, are going to jump into the no BS zone. We're going to talk about some... Uh, We'll try to get through as many as possible, but some easy golf swing tips for ladies. Um, 
you know, there's a few here that particularly I think uh, hopefully will help the, the women listening to the show um, become better players. And um, it, it's interesting when I was reading through some of these, um, and this is something I, I, I pulled off uh, off online. I just thought would be make for an interesting uh, topic. And the first one I thought, actually the first two sort of work together, but um, the first one I thought is, is accelerate through every shot you hit, I thought is, is a good one. And the reason why I picked this, uh, these topics was because, and I don't know, Cindy, you can maybe attest to this as well, especially for beginning golfers, a lot of women, uh, and, and men too, but particularly women are very hesitant to really sort of accelerate through the shot. It's like they're afraid to hit the ground. They're going to hit the ground. It's going to hurt. And they tend to just sort of stop at the ball. And I think it's important if you want to become a better player and you want to get that distance, you've got to learn to accelerate through the shot. So I'm sure you've had some ladies over the years that have fallen into that trap. What do you typically say to them to try to encourage them to make sure they're swinging through the shot and not just hitting at the ball? Well, first of all, I have to say, why are these golf swing tips just for ladies? Because they're for everybody. So I have to just give you a little bit of crap for that. Um, well, it is women of golf, so, so I had to edit it for uh, that purpose. Okay, but yes, I agree. okay, okay, I'll shut up. Uh, but anyway, um, no, you're never hitting at the ball. The ball is not the target. It's called a golf swing. It's not a golf hit. So that's what I tell people. You're swinging. It's, you're practicing a golf swing, and so you want to swing through it. What is it? The ball. The ball is not the target. So the more you make a whoosh through it, the ball, the faster the club head goes, and those who have more club head speed hit it, the ball, farther. So you're always trying to make a whoosh sound with more speed, and if you do that, you won't dig to China and jar your teeth loose and hurt your elbows and get golfer's elbow and it'll go further, and you'll hit it cleaner and make better contact, and you'll have a lot more fun playing golf. Well said. I think, though, um, when you agree, though, there, that there are a lot of players, and, and I agree it's uh, both men and women, but a lot of players, especially early beginning players, have, this is a common problem that I've seen on the range where they're kind of just jabbing at the ball. It's like they're afraid to really swing through because it's going to, as I said, if they hit the ground, it's going to hurt. But really, it's not. If you're in a good posture in that, you're really not going to, you know, it's not like you're going to move heaven and earth. Um, you might take a little bit bigger divot than you want. But um, but that is a common a thing that you've, I'm sure, seen as well, correct? Yeah, but the other thing is the whole world tells them to keep their left arm straight if they're right-handed or their right arm straight if they're left-handed. So, again, it's uh, they're confused. And so if they're trying to lock their arm, they're afraid to swing through because they're thinking, wow, if I lock this arm, there's no way I can swing past the ball. And then they dig to China a few times and they hit the ground really hard. So now they're like, uh, no, this is going to hurt. So number one, do not lock your forward arm. For right-handers, it's your left arm. For left-handers, it's your right arm. Relax your arm and swing the club head. So I think that's yeah, the number one thing you have to say. Don't lock your arms. Relax your arms. Yeah, just I... hang straight. Nobody locks your elbows. 
No. And, and I think people, you're right. I think there's been a lot of confusion over the years. I think it's starting to, you know, unpack itself now, but that has been, you know, keep your arms straight. And, and again, people lock their arms, um, you know, in the process and obviously that uh, creates a whole myriad of things. Um, but no, that's, that's some good advice. Um, the, the next one I move on, as I said, it sort of works hand in hand to with, with the first one. And that is to not be afraid to chase distance. And what I, what I mean by that is, um, you know, I find, again, a lot of people don't really swing properly, and as a result, they're not getting uh, as much distance. So what I mean by not being afraid to chase the distance is work on things. Now, you know, a lot of, unfortunately, and men are probably the biggest culprits of this, I'm going to throw them under the bus, is they think, well, if I just go out and buy some new equipment, um, and that certainly can help depending on, if the equipment you're currently using hasn't been fitted properly or it's outdated, maybe it's old technology, uh, the shafts are not good or they're not fitted properly for you, um, certainly some new equipment can help there. But really what you need to do is working on your mechanics and your ability to uh, you know, hit a, a center strike on the club face. And so what I mean by this is there are things that you can do naturally just by swinging the club properly and making sure you're making good solid contact, that's going to help you get that distance. So you don't have to, to muscle it. In other words, you don't have to sit and just, you know, clench your, as you put it, clench your butt cheeks and just swing for the hills. Um, just a natural, smooth flowing swing, but done properly can get you all the distance you need, right? Yes. I mean, again, what you should do is go to an LPGA tour event and watch one of these, cute little players that weighs 100 pounds that's five foot three, hit a 250 and you'll mm-hmm. sit there with your mouth hanging open saying how's she doing that and and right. you know and you keep watching and then you'll go to the next one who's five foot four who's 105 pounds hit it you know 260 and, and you'll go she didn't even look like she's trying and then you go right. over there and fall over trying to kill it and say, okay, something's wrong here. So you will be so, you know, shocked at how they use every ounce of energy in their body the right way to absolutely kill the ball. And you'll learn that you don't have to do that. You can, you can be, you can use your body to the utmost way you can to hit it way farther than you are agree right right i, I agree whole uh, wholeheartedly you know having understanding how to swing the club properly and it's really a very natural swing everybody's everybody has the ability to swing the, the club naturally um we tend to as you mentioned you know locking the arm and doing other things as well is really unnatural and when you start monkeying around and doing things and trying to alter things from your natural rhythm, what ultimately ends up happening is now suddenly you don't have a natural free-flowing motion. You've now created or you've manufactured something else, and then you cheat yourself out of, excuse me, out of that distance um, by doing that. Um, so I want to move on to one. This is another one, too, that this really is not so much the swing itself, but helping um, with uh, using alignment sticks. Um, I like to use this whenever possible because I think that a lot of people, um, 
don't, and this a number of things can happen. Is uh, you can use this for your alignment to check where um, you're aiming uh, your shots, your where your body is lined to, where the where the club uh, is is swinging on plane. So there's a lot of different things that you can use it um, for. Do you use alignment sticks a lot, still, Cindy? Uh, I do not because I am a nonlinear person who has to feel. Um, where I am when I set up, and and I eyeball things, so I do not use sticks. I I have to see the target, so I do mm-hmm. not use sticks. I use my body parts. Uh, so people that have to see a target rather than uh, use lines, it's real important. If you have trouble seeing a line, uh, and can't line up, do not use sticks or lines on your balls. So, interesting. It's real important. I didn't know that about. Yeah, yeah. It's I didn't real know important. that about you. You know, it's funny because when when you look at a player like Jack Nicholas as an example, I mean, he would use his club, not laying it down, but he would actually take his club. Uh, sometimes, and he would actually just visualize the line, and he would sometimes just hold the club up a little bit. I've seen other players do that as well. Not every time, yeah, but... Yeah, well, because um, he's linear. You can tell that right. he's linear. Because, again, right, exactly. I think I've talked about Mike Shannon and teaching you with a laser, whether you're linear or nonlinear, whether you see lines or curves. And it's real important mm-hmm. to know whether or not you are linear or nonlinear, and I am totally nonlinear. And you can tell, like, Lee Trevino was nonlinear. He would look at the target. Freddie Couples is nonlinear. So those players right. who are always looking in the distance are nonlinear. They do not use lines. It's really important mm-hmm. to know that. because it, And Alan Miller is nonlinear. And once you know what you are, again, um, Dave Pels used to try to help Alan with lines. Alan Miller could not make a putt for Clay tour and uh, Dave Pels tried to help him. And once he found out he was nonlinear, he made every putt he looked at. And, again, played on the PGA Tour for 15 years, wondering what the hell was wrong with him. And now wow. he knows. So it's well, really important. Very interesting. I'm, I'm glad uh, that you shared that. Um, all right, so another one, too, Cindy, is to learn to move the lower body. A lot of people just look at the, the golf swing as strictly an arms and hands uh, motion, and that's not correct. Talk us a little bit about this here where people misunderstand or don't understand the use of the lower body. Again, um, the lower body is uh, leverage, if you will. So you don't want to be flingy, flappy, back and through. You want your legs to be stabilizers, kind of like the handle of a slingshot. So you hold the handle still and you pull the lever, you know, the rubber band back and through. doesn't mean the handle doesn't move. Don't want to move the handle back and through with the rubber band. Your lower body is going to move, but it can't be back and forth all the way. It can't be, you know, your knees can't be straightening back and forth. They have to be like knocked in leverage. If you know what um, Iron Byron is, is a machine. 
It's a mm-hmm. robot that almost every ball manufacturer and club manufacturer in the world use to test equipment. And Iron Byron doesn't have legs. And right. the Titleist Performance Institute, you know, uses these sensors to test players. And what they found was the first move down for all great players is their legs move first, their knees move mm-hmm. towards the target, and then they stop. And then once the arms move down, then the legs go back through again. But they don't move the whole way through. So, yes, you want to move them, but you want to kind of knock your knees in so you don't go mm-hmm. flying through like a lunatic. So you got to use them as leverage. <laughs> well said. Yeah, I, I, again, right. this goes to – no, that's that's perfect. This goes to what, what we're sort of saying in the beginning where I think a lot of um, players and, – and again, for the purpose of this uh, show, uh, women uh, tend to uh, hit at the ball so they don't really engage their lower body at all and they, they, they keep it too stiff and just turn their upper body and their arms and their hands and just sort of swing through and slap at the shot and they're not really engaging. And, and again, the lower body works as a result of the turn. So um, as you're going back, obviously there is going to be some movement of the lower body. It's not forced. It's as a result of, of um, that movement, initial movement. And as you come down, as you said, the lower body has to uh, start to unwind before the upper body uh, then unwinds and comes through the shot. And it, it's, it's a, a body sequence, if you will. It's like if you're throwing a baseball, as analogy is always used, you know, you sort of, um, you know, take the, the, the ball back, but your body is engaged fully, not just your arms and your hand. And um, so I think once you do that, and, and a lot of people, it works for some and it doesn't for, for others, but sometimes just swinging a club with your eyes closed and not really thinking about anything, but just feeling the motion sometimes can, can get you into um, sort of proper sequencing that way. And that's a good drill to do is, is just to not even worry about the ball, just, you know, when you're at the range sometimes, uh, get yourself in your posture and then just close your eyes and just sort of swing, gently swing the club back and through and you'll feel how your body naturally starts to uh, wind and then unwind through the downswing and you'll feel that. And then you just repeat that when you get over the ball and um, just do that a few times. I think that'll help. Uh, another one too, and this is again, um, you hear, I've heard over the years, a lot of pros talk about this where there's a, a slight pause at the top. You want to feel that pause. And basically what that means is as you go into the backswing, uh, before you transition into the downswing, there's a slight pause. It's not, you know, forever, but there is um, a slight pause. And some players I've talked to on the range um, actually count it out. They'll actually count, you know, maybe a second, and then they'll work into the transition. Have you ever used this yourself? Do you pause at the top, or do you even bother thinking about it? Yes, I pause. Again, I I asked people if they played an instrument when they were little or if they were in chorus or sometimes I even ask them if they have to be drunk to dance um, because I want to know if they have any musical background. Tempo, timing, and rhythm uh, are really important in the golf swing, and I want to know if they are audiovisual or kinesthetic, and I even created a learning style assessment. Um, And if you email me, cindy at cindymillergolf.com, I'll send you a link to take the free learning style assessment. Um, in fact, it's in every Golf Tips magazine at the back where 
under the back nine to the boardroom and my articles, you can take it from there. Um, so it's important to know whether I want to see it, feel it, or hear it. And if it's hear it, it I, I say swing, hinge, kill. Every time I swing, mm-hmm. swing, hinge, kill. Well, the swing hinge is the, you know, one and two. So the mm-hmm. and is the pause at the top. So, yeah, I do that every time. Yeah, and I think it's a good idea because, uh, again, you, you kind of see players sort of snatch that club back into the backswing and then just sort of rush it through. And there's really no, you, you almost can't even tell the transition. I mean, obviously they're going in the opposite direction now, but you don't really notice where that transition begins because they're just sort of, uh, again, snatching it back and then just trying to drive it. When you do that, you, you end up losing your, your natural body rhythm. Everybody has, um, a, a, again, a natural body rhythm. Some are, have a very quick pace, a very quick rhythm. Somebody, um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of his name. I just lost his name. But uh, others like a Freddie Couples you mentioned have sort of a, a slower-looking body rhythm. Um, Ernie L's is another one that I can think of. Nick Price was the one I was trying to think of. Has sort of very short backswing, a very quick swing, um, but it's timed well for his natural body rhythm. He has a much faster uh, pace to his rhythm, if you will. But they all have sort of that pause at the top. And some it's more noticeable than others. Freddie had a great, you know, had a great uh, transition because he would just get it up there and you would see a definite pause in his uh, top of the backswing. Um, so, you know, I think it's something you don't have to necessarily consciously uh, force it. Um, it should happen naturally, but as you mentioned, um, you can have some, some mental cues as well to, to do that. Um, another one as well is to, and, and again, let the club be heavy. Um, what I mean by that is, a lot of people, especially with today's equipment, is very, very light. We have a lot of uh, graphite shafts and, and so forth that uh, are very, very light, and people don't understand um, and don't feel the club head. What are your thoughts here on that? Mm, I want to feel the head. I think, you know, swing weight. and I want to feel right. the head. Uh but again, if you're holding it too tight and your arms are too tight, you're not going to feel the head at all. So right. Depends on the person. Yeah, I think. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree. I think you know. Again, it all comes into if you're gripping it, if you've got a death grip on the club, and you've created a lot of tension, in, particularly in your upper body, you're not going to feel that, and it's it's not really even a swing anymore. It just becomes sort of a rigid movement, and you want to feel that club head because you want to feel it as it's going back. And as it's transitioning and coming back through again, and obviously you're going to be speeding up. Um, that's why, you know, it, it's always a good idea to really grip it very lightly. Um, because what people don't realize, too, is they think, well, if I grip it too light, I'm, the club's going to slip out of my hands on the downswing. Well, no, actually, it's not. It actually, the club, your hand, excuse me, will actually naturally tighten um, as you start the, tra- the downswing. Even if you grip it super light and try to have that feeling all the way through, it naturally will grip a little bit tighter as you swing through just just the way your body works. So you don't have to worry about that. Now, obviously, you don't want it so loose that it just, it, you know, the, the weight of the club head's twisting through your, uh, the, the handle through your hand. Um, but, you know, you want to have it light enough that you can feel the weight of the club head. Not the shaft, you want to feel the weight of the club head. And the only way to do that is to not have tension in your upper body. Um, so you want to feel that heaviness is what I'm, what I'm getting at. And I think if you do that, 
again, you're going to swing a much more fluid and it's going to be much easier, um, as we talked about earlier, uh, to accelerate through the shot uh, without having to force it. And it becomes a more natural movement. Um, just a thought. Um, this one is always kind of interesting. And again, this is maybe not so much for a beginning golfer, but somebody that's getting to be a little bit more advanced. Uh, and one swing um, isn't going to cut it. And what I mean by that here is I think it's a good idea for better players to learn how to work the ball, whether it's a fade or a draw. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be both. Um, but I think some people may have a natural shape shot. Um, other people try to focus so hard on hitting it straight um, that they really get to a point where um, they don't have a, a – they sort of, I guess, overcompensate. Um, I want to get your thoughts on this because ultimately we want to hit the ball as straight as possible. But at the same time, I think it's okay um, to have – maybe a little bit of a, a fade or even a, a draw in the shot as well, because it can come to your advantage at some point in the golf course. What do you think here? Tell me what your question is again. So I think it's a good idea to have other options in your swing. So in other words, to be able to work the ball, some players can work the ball a little bit more. And again, this is for a more advanced player. Um, it, it, it's not always applicable to have one swing thinking that's all you need to play golf because it's really not. I mean, you're swinging the club the same, um, but you want to have uh, to be able to learn to hit other shots. So, again, whether it be a fade or a draw. So what do you think about that? Again, it depends on the ability of the student. You know, if somebody can't break a hundred, <clears throat> you know, somebody comes right. in and they say, "I want to now be able to work the ball." I'm like, <clears throat> "Let's just try to hit it somewhat straight down the fairway." Right. Exactly. So that and you I'll, can I'll, I'll break a hundred. But again, if you're a better player, then yeah, you have to be able to hook it around the tree or fade it around the tree. I agree. I I don't want them to have too many swing thoughts. Because I believe too many swing thoughts cause them to not be able to hit the ball the way they need to when they need to hit it there. Too much confusion going on in their head. It, it, it put it this way. Yeah, You've got a bunch of players that are going to play in the Hurricane Junior Tour Winter National Championship. And so I, they're all coming in, oh, i got to have a lesson, i got to have a lesson. I said, okay, why don't you bring in your yardage book and let's go over the course that you're going to be playing. Have any of them brought in the yardage book to go over the course <laughs> during their lesson? No. I mean, no. but they all have a lesson every single day this week. I'm like, what are you mm -hmm. doing? I, 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 that's absolutely ridiculous. And you know and I know they're going to go down there. <clears throat> and they're, none of them listen to this, you know, podcast, and they're all going to choke their guts out, most likely. Yep. Why? Yeah, exactly. Because they don't know how to play the golf course, but they can stand on the range right. and hit it perfect all day. Like, what are you doing? So, again, I, well, I need to know how to fade it. Well, you don't know how to fade it when you need to fade it. You know, that's the point. So, again, I right. would careful, you know, 
let's learn to play. I don't, I don't try to fade it and draw it and, you know, do all this fancy stuff. And I'm not shooting 68 every day. And I played on tour. So let's just right. go break 75 every time you play. That's, I'm sorry. That's, well, yeah, no, well said. And again, as I prefaced in the beginning, it is for, you know, maybe a better player, a more accomplished player that does have their, their stuff together. Um, can learn to work the ball a little bit more. Again, if they get in a situation where they're behind a tree, and that's really what, what I was getting at here. But, no, you said it right on. And, and you're exactly right. You know, a lot of these young players are more focused on swing mechanics, having everything look just right, but they don't know how far they're hitting the clubs or they don't look at their yardages, um, you know, or, or their, their, you know, shots during the round and, and analyze it and say, okay, where do I need or where am I losing strokes? So, yeah, they're not bringing that information to you, and then they're wanting a lesson to play in, you know, an event or something next week, and it just ain't going to happen. So, no, well said. All right. Um, all right, I'm going to very, very quickly um, go through the next one here. Uh, chip shots are essentially miniature full swings. Uh, obviously, if you want to be a, a more accomplished player, uh, you need to learn to chip the ball. Um, and that's something that, again, you can work with your, your local professional. Um, if you can't, chip the ball well, then you're going to certainly struggle um, with your full swing. So working on these short little shots around the green can help you with your, your longer shots. So work on your chip shots whenever possible. Go out there and spend a lot of time around the green because that's where you're going to lose a lot of your strokes. Most people can put it in the fairway. may not be great distance, but they can put it in the fairway. Um, so learn to be able to chip the ball. And then also, and we've talked about this, and then we've got to move on uh, to our guest, but um, downhill and uphill lies. Um, you don't necessarily need to change the swing, but you might have to make some adjustments um, to uh, the slope or, or what have you in your setup. So um, those are things that you need to, again, get together with your local professional and talk about that where um, you can learn how to prepare for an uphill or a downhill lie because you're going to be faced with a lot of those, right, Cindy, on the golf course, unfortunately. Yes, you will. And... Uh, learning how to set up properly. Again, you're swinging, you're going to swing the club the same way as you would if you were on nice flat level ground, um, but certain things are going to happen. And I think we've talked about this before, so I won't go through it again. All right, um, we're going to get ready for our special guest, uh, Grace Wilson uh, from PXG is going to be joining us here momentarily. Um, let me tell you a little bit about her. She is a mechanical engineer, uh, graduate of Rice University, uh, currently located in Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, she is utilizing her degree, uh, degree at uh, PXG, where she is a product test engineer, uh, designing and developing systems for the club uh, production floor at uh, their headquarters, uh, testing equipment for the R&D team, and uh, prototyping uh, golf bag components in the soft goods department. So she's uh, well-versed in, in everything golf, and uh, we're just going to wait for her. I think uh, she did call in, but I think she might have got bumped out, so we'll let her call back in. In the meantime, here's a quick message from Golf Tips Magazine. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple to follow practice and game improvement drills, 
fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to golftipsmag.com and subscribe today. Uh, welcome back. As I said, we're just waiting for uh, Grace to uh, to call back in. Uh, she is our special guest, um, second half of the show. She's, uh, as I mentioned, a product uh, test engineer with PXG. So I see she's back. Let me uh, bring her on. Please welcome our very special guest, Grace Wilson. Hello. Good morning, Grace. Good morning, Grace. How are you? Good. How are you? Sorry about the technical difficulties there. That, that's okay. We're glad you made it, and uh, we appreciate you rescheduling from uh, earlier this month, so we thank you for uh, being willing to, to come back. Please say hello to um, our other host on the show, Cindy Miller. Good morning. Hi, Cindy. How are you? Hi. Doing well. Awesome. Thank, thank so, you guys Cindy, for having me. Well, we're glad that you could join us. Um, Cindy, do you want me to go first, or do you want to go first? You can go first. Well, thank you. Um, so, Grace, tell <laughs> us a little bit about yourself. How did you first sort of get introduced to the game, and when was there a, a sort of a turning point for you when you said, this is going to be play a bigger role in my life um, than what uh, maybe what you originally thought? Yeah, absolutely. So, I grew up in Houston, Texas, um, pretty much in the heart of the city. Um, and my earliest memories are playing sports with my dad, my grandfather, and my brother. Um, I also loved school growing up. I was kind of a book nerd. But um, I always knew that I wanted to be involved in sports as much as possible. I think in kindergarten I wanted to be the first center fielder on the Houston Astros, but uh, female center fielder on the Houston Astros, but obviously that did not happen. Um, but, yeah, my earliest memories playing golf, I was about five or six, and my grandfather took me to the range for the first time. And ever since then, I – or summers after that, I would play in, a, um, you know, golf camps and stuff like that. But in middle school, I was playing so many different sports. I, did, I didn't get a chance to play competitively. Um, but whenever I was in town, if I wasn't, like, traveling for softball or swim meets or something, I was on the golf course playing 18 or 27, walking by myself every day. So – it wasn't until high school that I joined a team and started playing tournaments outside of um, school as well. Um, and, yeah, I just kind of fell in love with the game. You know, it was the only sport that, other than swimming, that wasn't a team sport. So I couldn't really blame anybody but myself, which was a challenge, and I loved being outside. Um, and then into high school, I started looking um, to get recruited for to play in college, um, but I also was still taking my studies super seriously. So I um, knew that I wanted to study engineering at that point. And um, I talked to, I wasn't, I was never good enough to go pro, but I was looking at some 50 to top 100 to 50 D1 schools and then D2 and D3. Um, and at least the specific schools that I spoke with, um, the coaches were not uh, going to allow me to study engineering as well as play on their teams. They said, you know, there are a ton of other amazing majors available, but at least for our um, tournament schedules and practice schedules, the labs you have to do, um, they're, they're not going to be compatible to do both. So I ended up deciding to just study engineering in school and play golf for fun, which I think was a blessing because after my first semester of my freshman year of college, there, I realized that there was no way that I personally could have done both. 
Um, and so, yeah, it's kind of history from there. Um, I knew that I wanted to get a job in the industry um, and kind of circle back on, on my passion and combine the two. So what wow. was the, kind of a lot. <laughs> uh, isn't that incredible? I mean, yeah, I mean, wow. Um, so let me ask you real quick, and then, Cindy, I'll let you uh, take it from there. Um, what was it about the sort of doing them from the mechanical side, what was it that, that was appealing to you? Because um, that's, that's not something that you would normally hear somebody say, well, I want to be a mechanical engineer. Um, and what was it about that that was really appealing to you? <clears throat> that's a great question. So I always was strong in math and science growing up and in high school. Um, and then my senior year of high school, I actually got to take a physics engineering elective course where um, you know, I think I was like 17, 18. Before I was in wow. college, I was exposed to 3D printing and um, computer-aided design. So I'm like, uh, like we built BattleBots, and um, I, I did a little coding in high school. And it was at that point, just working on a team, there were only like three girls in the class, and we had our own little squad um, that we worked on all of the projects together. And I don't know, I just like fell in love with the engineering design process, ideating in groups. Um, and coming up with things. So actually, I went to Rice University in Houston for college, and my first year I went in for uh, biomedical engineering because I thought I wanted to do, like, prosthetics, maybe work in sports medicine. Um, <clears throat> and then I took uh, a similar course my freshman year of college. It was an engineering design course where it was the same thing. You worked on a small team. You had a client, kind of like a small capstone um, project for a semester. And... I, I, I just talked to a bunch of students there and realized that, like, engineering design and prototyping was my passion, and um, I switched my major to mechanical engineering from there. And I minored in engineering design as well. Wow. Where are you from? Uh... I'm from Houston, Texas. So uh, Rice is also in Houston, so I went to college just about 10 minutes away from my home course and 15 minutes away from my parents' house. So um, it was all still close, but... It was it was a great experience. How did PXG find you, or you find them? Yeah, so after my um, freshman year of college, I still thought that I wanted to do, like, sports medicine stuff, so I got an internship at um, Methodist, which is a hospital in Houston, their biomechanics lab doing, like, motion capture systems, which is a software where you, it's how you make video games and some animated films, like you put dots all over your body and you can like analyze the way that people move on screens. So I did that. I really enjoyed it, but I kind of like got an insight into um, biomedical research and research in general and like healthcare, everything moves really slow and it takes a really long time to get the projects you worked on the correct funding and um, have it ever come to fruition. So the next summer, I had a friend at Rice who had interned for um, a football helmet chin strap company. Um, they, like, kind of have a, a monopoly on the market. Um, it's, like, a small shop right, right outside of Houston where they hire one Rice student for an internship each year. So I was able to do that, and I kind of got exposed to the sports equipment industry and um, did some prototyping for them on different helmet accessories. And after that, I realized that I loved just the industry, everyone's young, vibrant, excited about the products. And I went to um, kind of like an expo where there was a bunch of different uh, sports equipment companies that were showcasing their new products. And I just walked around, met a bunch of people, and it kind of clicked that not only was this the industry that I wanted to work in, but also why don't I try to apply it to my favorite sport, 
um, and, and get back in the golf world. So that was after my sophomore year. Then after my junior year, it's kind of like, you know, your big um, intern year where hopefully you can try to land the job after you get it. So starting pretty much at the beginning of my junior year, I reached out to all the engineers I could find on LinkedIn, any sort of post that was for any company really, um, and try to get in their ear saying how interested I wasn't working for them. And it ended up getting to a point where I think I was early enough and interested enough that I kind of got to pick where I wanted to go. And PXG to me was the most unique company. Um, they had the smallest engineering team, which would give me as like an intern and like a baby engineer, uh, more responsibility over my projects and just a more hands-on experience. Some of the other positions I was looking at, you know, you're on a team of 50 people and you're working on like a tiny sliver of the production process. And like, that's going to be your whole summer. Whereas at PXG, much smaller team, you know, things are moving super fast here. We were growing a lot and they were kind of just like throwing stuff at me, like, please figure this out because we need you to. So that was super valuable to me. And also just the product and the business model is so different than all these other companies. Like I felt like I wanted to, um, yeah, definitely challenge myself. I hope they love you. <laughs> I, I think they do. Did you hear that? Um, what was that? I said, I hope they love you. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's been an amazing experience. I've been here for two and a half years full time now. Um, and, yeah, I love it every day. It's been really fun. That's awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Wow. I mean, how many... I mean, thank God for people like you who make golf clubs that we love to play with because I couldn't do what you do. I don't have the brains or the love of it, but somebody has to. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm too I'm too clueless. And you're like, oh, I love this crap. And I'm like, yuck. That's awesome. I think it's, it's oh definitely more God. fun than, you know, designing pipes for – so a mining company or, you know, working at a mechanical engineering firm where you kind of just get thrown on random, whether it's like oil rigs or, I don't know, I definitely found a niche within like my degree that is exciting and super fun. So it's been great. You get to play I actually golf? don't. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, in college I was playing like once or twice a week just to get away from school um, and get my mind off of work. That's pretty much the only thing I did outside of study. But now I play on the weekends. I have a fun girls group out here. I play with my coworkers some. Um, it's great. I mean, we're based in Scottsdale, so it's kind of like the golf mecca of the world. It, it gets expensive in the season, but um, it's worth it for sure. That's awesome. So what's some of the cool things you've done that you can tell us about and not have to kill us? Yeah, uh, sure. So I actually don't design golf clubs. I design automated systems for our production floor as well as testing equipment. And I also have done some projects with our soft goods team doing some uh, mechanical engineering improvements to our golf bags. But um, one machine that I designed is uh, an automated ferrule installer. So, you know, the little plastic piece that sits right between I know what that the club is. head and the shaft. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, it's, a, it's a system where you insert the shaft 
with the ferrule sitting on top of the uh, of the shaft, and it pushes it on for you at the correct depth, and it has a sensor system to release the shaft um, once the ferrule is installed to, I think it's like 1.24 inches down the shaft, and then the whole thing releases, and you take the shaft out. So it took the, bada thing, bada the boom, time to baby. install the shaft. Yeah. Wow. Uh, it cut it down to like a third of the time, and then also before, I mean, most companies, uh, they have people hammering the shafts on, and people get like, really bad arthritis in their elbows, and they can get back pain. So it's also um, make sh- making sure that our builders are safe and comfortable. Um, so that was one of them. I designed a putter robot for our testing team that isolates every single degree of freedom for adjustment. So no matter the putter or the style, um, we can set it up with our camera system for accurate measurements there. Um, I'm currently working on redesigning the legs of our bag, which has been fun, and like the way that it connects to the bag. But that's probably as far as I could go right now in terms of telling you things. But no, it's super fun. I get a bunch of random projects. Um, most of the time my clients are my coworkers, which is nice. So I'm not super customer facing or I don't um, have to deal with um, like super high management, AKA like CEO input or anything. But um, I kind of work behind the scenes to make sure that the engineering department stays running and all the clubs are good to go out the door in terms of performance, which has been really fun. That's cool. Very cool. My daughter has been there. She works for uh, Golf Pass, and they've oh, been cool. there shooting stuff to be on Channel on Peacock, which is cool. Oh, nice. And clothing yeah. with somebody, yeah, which is oh, good. Oh, wow. She's gotten some free clothing from you, and it's very nice. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She yeah, likes you. apparel department. Okay, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right, Ted, I'll shut up. You can talk. Thank you. Um, so let me <laughs> let me ask you, um, Grace, uh, about your work that you do. Um, I, I know you've given us an example on that. Do you work on one project at a time, or sometimes are you working on multiple products uh, or, or uh, projects? Excuse me. Um, at at any given time. Or you sort of get, okay, here's the project. I've got to do that one. That one's done, then I move on to the next one. Or you do multiple sometimes. Yeah, normally there's about two or three that are kind of like stringing along at the same time, whether it's like I've submitted drawings to our machine shop and I'm waiting for things to get machined or I have to order parts. Um, I also do some like uh, report generators, which is like all just coding projects. So when I'm in like some downtime on one project, I can pick up another one and work on that. Um, we also have a 3D printer here, so um, that turnaround's only a day. But if I get all my files ready to print at, let's say, 11 a.m. or 1 p.m., um, I'm not going to have those parts till the next day, so I can spend the afternoon um, working on something else. And because I, I mean, I know I covered a lot, but production and testing is kind of like one department, and then soft goods, so like all my bag projects is another. I normally have at least one of each going at the same time, so I can like flip, flop back and forth from the two. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely – I try to keep busy, especially when there is downtime in projects. Um, I, I want to be efficient with my time. So tackling something else is always a good option. So how do you keep it all – I mean, obviously the projects are different from one another, but how do you keep everything straight in your head? I mean, if you're working on multiple projects and you've got formulas for this one over here and you've got things over this one over here, how do you keep it all sort of compartmentalized so that you're not 
caught saying getting things mixed up. I mean, obviously you you're well educated as we can tell, but um, <laughs> how do you keep yourself keep yourself from um, sort of merging into into one thing? Do you ever have that happen to you, and and or do you have a system in your own mind from your experience and your training to be able to do that, to be able to compartmentalize each each task? Yeah, I think it's just about like good note taking and. Um, I mean, a lot of my stuff is through like a computer-aided design software. So once you open up an assembly on your computer, like it populates the entire project in front of you um, with a bunch mm-hmm. of different components. So it's pretty easy to like close all of your tabs and like, okay, now sure. work on this device or whatever. Most of my projects, I haven't had too many that I've been working on in tandem that are super similar. I can see how like if I was building out a control box for like two different devices where, you know, right. I have a bunch of relays and PLCs and electronic components that I'm like trying to keep straight. Fortunately in the two and a half years I've been here, it's kind of been like a hardware project and then uh, an electronics project and a coding project. And then maybe like a really heavy surfacing, like uh, soft goods project where it's more about like design and um, you know, some mechanical functions, but mostly the look and making sure it looks sleek. So I, I haven't had a point, in my career yet where I've been juggling like similar projects that I could flip back and forth. So it's actually really nice to work on one. And then when I've exhausted my efforts or I've gotten to a good stopping point to pivot and whether I want to jump on the computer and write some code or, um, you know, design something, it's like, it's almost like refreshing. And then once I am ready to circle back, I almost feel like, um, you know, I'm not like bogged down by anything. I kind of have like a clean slate. Do you ever get stumped, I mean, along the way, like working on projects where you get to a certain point and say, okay, not that you're lost, but you're kind of at a point where, okay, I'm not sure where to go next, uh, or is everything so computer enhanced now that really you don't have that happen to you? No, that happens all the time. Um, like one of the <laughs> projects I was talking about, the Feral Installer, I mean, when you're trying to design a mechanical system, there are so many different ways that you can um, solve or like tackle a problem, whether it's like clamping something or using air cylinders or pneumatics or writing some sort of like electronic program. So there's a lot of different paths that you can go down. And with that specific project, I think I had like four or five fully fleshed out prototypes that I had built that did not work. So it's like, that was super frustrating. I mean, it was like a six month period where I couldn't figure out um, the best way to solve a solution or to solve a problem. Um, And then, you know, you get to the control box after you've settled on like your mechanical system. You're like, okay, now I need to add all the sensors and make sure that like it's safe to use. And then from there, there was at one point where I tried to, this might not make any sense, but I wired a bunch of relays and series to control the sensors and that didn't work. So then I had to switch to a PLC. So yeah, I'm stumped all the time and I'm lucky that my coworkers um, are really great to bounce ideas off of. Um, Pretty much all the engineers have like their own niche of, expertise even if it's not in like what they're doing right now like our putter guy is a really really good at electronics so he'll help me on that mm-hmm. stuff um and uh my like i guess manager is um really good at coding and has a lot of experience with um software stuff so i go to him for that kind of thing but yeah i'm stumped i mean that's really the majority of the engineering design process is like going down a rabbit hole and seeing if there's a solution there and nine times out of 10, there's not. So, um, right. It's just about being persistent and patient, um, because it can be super frustrating 
um, especially being so young. And, like, our team is all pretty young. Like, sometimes I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. And then once you break it down, I mean, that's the whole point of, like, why you go to school. You learn how to take a big problem and chop it up and just bite it off little by little. Um, And then, you know, six months later, eight months later, you've, like, designed a machine that you didn't even think that you could (laughs) eight months prior, you know. now, you mentioned you play golf, obviously, to, to get away from that. So I'm assuming that's one of the things that you do to sort of shut the brain off a little bit. Because I can imagine, you know, being a mechanical engineer, obviously, you're working with formulas, you're working with different things. And there's got to be a point where, you know, you're driving home uh, or you get home and you want to just sort of shut down. What do you do to do that? Because that's got to be something that I would imagine happens more frequently than not, right, where you get sort of – in a project, you're really into it, but it's time to go home now that, you know, that you've punched the clock, you're going home. How do you shut your mind down? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I feel like this happens in a lot of professions, but, like, if I'm super deep on a project or super deep in a chunk of code, like, I'll exceed in my dreams, which is kind of a nightmare, but um, it's all fun, so I like it, but I don't love, like, subconsciously thinking about those things but I'm a huge sports fan so I watch a lot of golf I follow the LPGA super closely or as close as I can um I love women's soccer women's basketball so uh we have a team here so I have season tickets to the WNBA here um but yeah I I like to go on hikes I like to travel um I mean we're so I mean I grew up in Houston so you can't really drive three hours in any direction to hit like mountains or any beautiful places there. So it's nice to be two hours South of Flagstaff and um, mm-hmm. you know, we're five hours from the coast. So I try to take some long weekends to get out and hike, but I would definitely say sports takes up most of my free time. Speaking of which, how has being a golfer helped you with your work in R and D and vice versa? Has it, have you learned things working through R&D that has maybe helped in your golf game as well? So both ways. Yeah, I think it's helped me just, like, understand um, a lot of the physics of, like, the different projects that I work on or, like, what we're trying to achieve. If you, like, don't understand the golf swing and you don't understand the ergonomics of the club or the aerodynamics of the swing, like, it's kind of hard to design around it. Um, so there's that. And then... Also, most of my coworkers are um, men, so, and they're all really good golfers. So when we come out with a new product, a lot of us test it, like in the early stages, and a lot of their swings are super similar. Um, so, you know, we can only get so much feedback from that, whereas I'm a little bit slower, my swing's a little bit different, so I'm able to um, provide information for like a different golfer which i would say i'm more like the average golfer than than they are which has been nice and do you what what is it i think i guess if i was to phrase this what do you want golfers to know when they hear pxg Um, because some people i mean a lot of people are obviously familiar with the brand now and with the products and that but for those that maybe are not what would you say to to those golfers if you were talking to a group of them and they said, well, tell us a little bit about PXG. What would you want them to know? Um, yeah, it's kind of twofold. I would say that, um, you know, our product is the highest quality golf club on the market. Um, and we're direct to consumer. And one of the best parts about um, our company is that, 
you know, we fit you in-house. We're not going through a big box store. So you get that personalized fitting um, and the experience of going to a store, which, I mean, my family members and friends that have been fit, it's like some of like their favorite memories of their life are getting fit for PXG. I'm super proud to work here um, and be able to back the product up. Um, and just like year over year, our technology outperforms the year before. And we just, we just don't do it like other companies. Um, we're on our own timeline. We're, we're a small group um, that has like carved out a niche for ourselves in, in the market. Um, and we're doing a really great job at that. And then the other thing is that um, I know other companies do it as well, but PXG is like very outspoken um, about investing in, in women on and off the course. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we have a super successful LPGA staff, um, which to me is like more exciting <laughs> to watch than the men. But um, uh, I, I've done some outreach programs across the country with um, girls in STEM getting to go, uh, you know, make golf and science a little less scary. Uh, and just I, I felt super represented and um, valued here as a, as a female in the engineering department. So, you know. That, that goes a long way for me, and I think it's important that, that people know that PXG values men and women equally. And our, our college program, we have equal opportunities for men and women's teams, which is not always the case. So, yeah, it's a blast. I love it that's, here. That's fantastic. And what a testament to, uh, to the organization for, um, for taking a stand like that. Because you're right, it's not something you commonly see, um, which we should, but um, we need to see more of that. So kudos to PXG and their uh, group for, for doing that. Um, Cindy, go ahead. I'm just, I'm flabbergasted. I'm totally impressed with you. Uh, great job. Thank you, Sydney. Thank you. Just unbelievable. I I would hire you in a heartbeat. You've got to be, just, they got to love you. And if they don't, tell them to call me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any questions for us, Cindy? No, I'm just I'm thrilled. Great job. So what? So now, are Thank you, you just one final one, and then we'll let you go because I know you, you want to get back to work. But um, so, are you working on any special projects right now that you could maybe share a little sneak into? I know you're talking about working on the stand for the legs for for um, a, a new golf bag or to uh, make uh, adjustments to the golf bag. Is there anything else that you're working on that you're really excited about right now? Um, yes, but it's it's like a <laughs> testing device, so I, I can try wow. to explain. I mean, it's so we have a machine that's like a CG MOI machine, center of gravity and moment of inertia. I've like created a bunch of new fixtures and written new code so that our calculations are more precise and I'm getting all the parts machine. So that's like a big one right now, but uh, that's taking up most of my time. But, like, you know, that's kind of like a nerd's paradise um, and doesn't necessarily have to do with – oh, one thing I am working on is, uh, like, a precise golf ball measurement system that can, you know, take all the measurements of a golf ball and, and like, find the, uh, the the extreme points of a golf ball. It's kind of, like, lopsided. Um, so that's kind of, like, in, in the background right now, so that's a little bit more relevant. But a lot of it is, like, pretty nerdy. Not super glamorous, but I think my department appreciates it. Um, and they're de- it's definitely a challenge. Well, it definitely sounds like you've got a very exciting job. Um, very interesting. A lot, obviously, a lot of technical 
stuff which is right in your wheelhouse and the fact that you're um, able to get out and, and enjoy this game that you're uh, helping to uh, improve through PXG um, makes it even that more, much more sweet. But um, Grace, we want to thank you for, for coming back and, and joining us this morning. It's very interesting, as Cindy said, you know, wow, I'm very impressed um, to hear the things that you've been working on, and I'm glad that you were able to find a good match for you. You obviously worked very hard in your education, and uh, you found a company that obviously um, not only appreciates your talent, but uh, uh, appreciates all the things that you bring to them. And kudos to you for, for finding that match. And we want to wish you much continued success. And hopefully you'll come back and maybe when you can share a little bit more uh, of some of the newer things uh, once they get uh, uh, you know, to their final conclusion, if you come back and share some um, insight uh, a little bit to more on PXG. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having me. It was a blast. Thanks, Johnny. We appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Grace. Have a great Bye. week. Bye. Thank you. Very interesting. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, wow. Awesome. Yeah. A lot of <laughs> makes me wish I had been you know, paid more attention in, in class when I was in school instead of uh, um, clowning around too much. But all right, everybody, want to thank you for. Uh, tuning in this morning. Um, as always, it's a pleasure. We just got a couple of more shows left, two more shows actually this season, and then we'll be taking our extended break. Uh, so uh, December 5th and 12th are our last two shows of the year. Hope you come back and join us. And then as I said, we'll be taking a break and we'll be coming back on February 6th will be our first show of 2024. Hope you come back then as well. But on that note, on behalf of Cindy Miller, I'm Ted Odorico. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. And a special thanks to our special guest, guest Grace Wilson from PXG. Um, thanks, everybody. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you next time on the Women of Golf. Thanks, Cindy. Thanks, Ted. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's Women of Golf show. Ted and Cindy wish to thank this week's special guests. Remember to join them every Tuesday from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the iGolf Sports Network or on any of these social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course Spotify. To get updates on the show, you can follow the Women of Golf Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash womenofgolf. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.